Welcome to the Two Putt Podcast. Two Putt for Par. Iowa's number one golf podcast. Yeah, but three putt is Snakesville. One part golf. Basically, it comes down to the fact that golf is hard. And one part business. But if it makes money, it makes sense. Mixing business with pleasure, these guys know how to have fun. This is the Two Putt Podcast. That's what we do. All right, so Todd, you spent some time in Mason City, and for any of our listeners, that's kind of in my old neck of the woods. Before we talk the golf part, where was your favorite place to eat in Mason City? Oh, man, that's a tough one. So uh, what's the steakhouse there? Northwestern Steakhouse. North, okay, yeah, that was, that was good. So early in my career, uh, as anyone who's been a golf professional knows, you're broke. So whenever I could get a chance to go there, that was always that was always pretty solid. Um, and then a couple guys that I got to know really well uh, early in my time there were managers at Bennigan's in the Clear Lake Holiday Inn. Uh, and I spent a lot of time there at the bar waiting for them to close so we could go have a good time. And I just I just order some food while I was waiting. Uh, what about Taco Tico? You know, dude. <laughs> Leo, Leo be upset with me here. Locals love that stuff. Locals will eat it up. I, not for me, man. I mean, it's okay, but like it's one of those. This is time and a place, right? And we all know what that time and place is. And it's when you're lubed and hammered. And, I, and otherwise, I just I couldn't do it, man. It was too much. That was one of those places. So I was 45 minutes uh, to the west, and so we I spent quite a bit of time in Mason City too, and I drove by it. 200 times and never even thought anything about it and then like 10 years down the road everyone's out between fort dodge and mason city oh taco tico taco tico, taco tico I, yeah. I, I don't like once i was like whatever you know i don't get the love either it's it's uh whatever i'll get roasted for it but it's it's ex- extremely ho-hum that's my that's my description of tacos Over, overrated uh yeah yeah extremely I agree. I agree. Papa's American Cafe is where it's at in Mason City. Just so you know. <laughs> Been there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I can get behind that. I can get yeah, behind that's, that. That's the best More place. appropriate for, for my time there would be, though, what's your favorite watering hole? Right? Oh, okay. Where did you go have a beer? And um, the Clear Lake VFW. Oh, yes. For sure. For sure. draft. Yes. We play pool. We get the jukebox going. That was the spot early on my time there before uh you know couple one of the guys gets married and their careers change and they're no longer you know when you when you, here's the problem though when you hang out with guys that are managers in the food and beverage businesses they their hours of 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 day are different from yours they don't have to be at work before the sun comes up i did that was the only downfall there hanging with those guys well, and they have, they usually have like Mondays off. And so then Sundays are like wild for those people. In the yeah. yeah. Thankfully, I got a little bit of a later start on Monday, but not like, not like, not like they did. That, that BMW and Clear Lake's like down by the lake kind of, right? Is it, where's, I'm trying to. Yeah, think. it's on the square there, right, yeah. right off the lake. And then there's another place right around the corner from there that was a basement of a house. I remember that too. Yeah. And I loved going in that place. There was a pool table stuck back in that corner, but you almost didn't have enough room for your stick. You were banging on the wall. But you didn't want to do that because every inch of the wall down there was historical paraphernalia from the Buddy Holly crash. So 
uh, and being a big music lover, man, I, I love the surf. I was glad I got to see a couple shows at the surf. So th- those are big highlights for me in the Clear Lake area, uh, Mesa City. Man. I love that place. I had a great time there. And then he, actually at the end of my c- career there, um, we would go down there that the Mesa City Brewery had opened. And I went there a handful of times. I'm a beer lover, I, you know, different different beer and, and trying different breweries. So I went there quite a bit. Um, Clear Lake, that one in Clear Lake had just opened the last year I was there. So I got to I got to see that one a few times before I moved away. So golf wise, you were at Mesa City Country Club, and I'll be honest, I don't I don't know that one as well as as Highland Park or honestly as Pine Creek in town. Um, <laughs> those would be the two I know the most, but. Talk a little bit about your time at, at Bay City Country Club and, and what it kind of looked like for you. So uh, the guy that hired me there my first year was his first year as a head professional. We were kind of, we were new to the area. It was a struggling small club, and he was there for a total of, I think, seven years. Um, I was there for two with him and then went to St. Louis for two and then came back to Mason City for his last two. So I guess he was there six, six years. I learned the golf business there. Right. I mean, doing all the different things, the, the proper way to run tournaments. And and I learned a lot about uh, teaching and, and, and gained my kind of my philosophies on the swing and, and what I what I look for from to help students. And, and, and uh, my mentor was a, was a great instructor himself. Uh, the golf course itself is very high on my list just because uh, of maybe the time I spent there and how much time I, I i loved it i loved it there i loved every minute of it a lot of great people that i met there that i am uh, in contact with a few still to this day and i've been there for six seven years but um the golf course is old it, it's it was built there a long time ago tee boxes are close to greens the golf course itself is is fairly short it's very flat um it's a nice course for all playing abilities i mean the low handicapper can can go low and tear that course up if he's hitting it straight, but if he or she is hitting it a little crooked, a little crooked is jail. There's big old trees in between each hole. If you hit it a long ways crooked, right or left, you're probably in another hole. So you're okay, right? Um, and that's why I felt like it played well to all handicaps. The greens were very small, um, some fairly flat, but they were always immaculate. That golf course and for all intents and purposes, probably shouldn't be in as great a shape as it's in because it's surrounded by cornfield and all the tile runs right on the golf course. It has a real problem with, with staying wet. But the superintendent there, Stacy Shipman, has been there a long time, and that guy is a wizard. That golf course was in fantastic shape all the time, and the greens were perfect all the time. A lot of greens, you know, old golf course, a lot of greens sloped back to front. Behind the green was dead. I mean, it was hard to get it up and down from back there because they were slick. Um, and they could be because there wasn't a ton of undulation. But uh, they held shots. The fairways were not any kind of, you know, high-dollar bent grass. They were, it was just an immaculate golf course all the time. Uh, it, 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 the only thing it struggled with was water. If it got too wet, and there's really nothing you can do about that. So, Did you ever play uh, those other courses I talked about in Mason City? Yep. Yep, played Highland Park maybe only twice. Um, the first time I played it was a three-person best shot. And what's that? What's that whole? Uh, the there's a par five with a tree right in the middle, of, right in the middle of fairway. Great big six, shot. six. 
so we hit driver out there and it was myself, another guy who was an intern with us at Mason city who, who I think actually runs that golf course now. Um, we're in the middle of the fairway and I said, Oh, where do I go? I don't even see where this hole, like what, what happened to the hole? Where did it go? And he, they said, just hit it right edge of that tree with about an eight iron. So this is a par five, right? Yeah. So I hit eight iron over the corner of this tree and it looks like they just tricked me and I hit it into the woods and like, Oh, that's gonna be great. That's gonna be great. And I, I, I still, until I drove up there and saw the green, I thought they had just pulled a nasty prank on me and told me to aim it straight into the jungle and, and whack away. But uh, good golf course. Fine. It was fine. I, I preferred the country club just because it was always perfect. After Mason city, then you came down here, right? And uh, you uh, joined or came in pro at uh, Des Moines golf. Yeah. So the second stint in Mason City, I was there for two years, went to St. Louis for a couple, um, and then went back to Mason City. And then after my mentor left, he went to Amana, uh, which is near his hometown. Um, he's a West Branch guy. Uh, so he was a little closer to home and like that. He and his wife were both from that area. So uh, I didn't tag along. I actually, um, so I got, a, I got a lead that there was a job opening at uh, Des Moines Golf. So I applied. And, uh, a couple of days later, uh, I was down in an interview and, um, you know, they, I, my second stint at Mason city, I was actually the listed on paper as the head professional. And before when I was in St. Louis, I was the head professional and a property manager. I basically, I mean, I was doing weddings and everything at that golf course. That was a nightmare. So when I went to Des Moines golf, there was, I think, worry that, you know, you're, are you okay taking a step backwards going from head professional to an assistant professional in my head? I knew that it wasn't really much different. I mean, on paper, I was listed as a head professional, but only because I could be, there was no, there was no different. I assisted the guy that was in charge of the golf operations. You can call it whatever you want. Um, it was an assistant professional position. So I did, I was at Des Moines golf for a total of five seasons and uh, you know, ranging, we, we did a good job of mixing up. Nobody stayed in one thing for a while. Right. Uh, you know, you'd, I started a men's league. They were going to bring up and start a new men's league. So they asked me to do that. I did that the first year, I think maybe two. Um, and then I did Twilights, which Brian can attest. Those are the Twilight golf events at Des Moines Golf are huge. They're 144 players strong every every other Friday. Um, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of stuff to get going. And it was, it was a big ticket. Plus, it was always there was always a waiting list uh, the years I ran it to, to get in because there were so many members at that time leading up to the Solheim Cup. Um, and then the uh, last two years, I was the director of ladies golf. So I ran everything ladies golf, outings, uh, there's the two ladies leagues, nine and 18 hole. And that was great. Had a lot of fun doing that, but a lot of work, a lot, 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 of, lot of hours put into that stuff. It's some people don't know what the club professional does behind the scenes for them to keep their, their golf course running, whether it's private or public. Um, the PGA is doing a, a good job right now of marketing that and, you know, thank a professional and doing all these different things um, to bring that to the forefront. So I think most people think, Oh, you're a golf pro. You work at a golf course. You play golf all day. And, like we talked about, that's far from the truth. So, but um, I'll never, ever go to a golf course and not think of what's going on behind the scenes that everybody else is, is busting their humps doing so that I can have an enjoyable day on the links, you know? Absolutely. Well, and you, you mentioned it too. Um, obviously had the privilege of, of being at Des Moines Golf with the Solheim Cup. And obviously both of us were there at that same time. And so we knew the buildup to that. I mean, it and for good reason, it was it was an amazing event at the at the club. But uh, well, talk a little bit about that and uh, 
once that decision came down and a little bit, um, obviously I'm going into great detail, but as far as what you guys were doing behind the scenes to get ready for an event that size. Yeah. You know, the, when I got there that they just announced it the year before and my first year at Des Moines golf, the tournament director showed up that year. So he was there what was that, three years prior to the event, something like that. And then slowly started to get more and more of his staff in and they did a lot of it. You know, I, we didn't, I personally didn't do a lot for the lead up to it. Um, but the week of the event, the professionals, we had a pretty awesome gig through that week. So we managed the driving range. We had our staff, the bag room staff and uh, a staff of volunteers. And then we were on radios making sure that we also had um, this, our bag room staff running shuttles for all of the Des Moines golf staff from the parking lot across Jordan Creek into the property. Um, so you're talking the kitchen staff and the wait staff and everybody that's working in the clubhouse. And then obviously the bag room professionals and all that stuff. But um, I, we stood on the driving range and watched the best female professionals from Europe and the United States hit golf balls all day. Uh, I watched Michelle, we hit golf balls for a couple of different days for uh, an extended amount of time. And I still don't really know how she hits a golf ball at a target. Her divots go one way and her body's lined up another way. It's a, it's a, it's weird. I don't get it. It was a great event and the course was in amazing shape and everything went as, as to be expected from a, from a fan's perspective, but there's just a ton of work that goes in behind the scenes. There's so much, uh, you know, the maintenance guys at Des Moines golf. I mean, if you've been there, you know that those guys are great. The golf courses are top notch. Um, they put in a lot of time in those renovations, uh, in those months that they were, they were, they were doing those renovations. It, it was incredible. The amount of effort and time that those guys put in, uh, I, I don't know that I could have done that. that, that they were, cause it's not only that they're putting in those amount of, but it's not easy work they're doing either. I mean, they're, they're really busting hump out there. Um, when you talked about the structures, we couldn't get over how long it took to put them all up. I mean, they're building all these, and we're talking about that, that 10 over on the South driving range, the Wells Fargo pavilion was massive, huge. And then you had all the, all the little spec, uh, you know, the purchased sponsor tents down by that. And then the ones going down one South, which was actually number 10, all those. And then how quickly they were all gone. Right. I mean, there's all this buildup for three years and then the week comes and the week was a blur. And then they take down all that stuff. And it's like, okay, now what? Right. It was, it was, it was almost sad. Right. I was like, what happened? Like it's gone. And we'll never get to see that again. It was once in a lifetime experience for sure. Even for those that, you know, that probably stay in the, the, um, in the business for years uh, to have an event like that. You just don't get to see a Ryder cup, a Solheim cup, a president's cup. You don't get to see those at the same course twice. Uh, not in someone's lifetime anyway, I would imagine. Yeah. It was a neat event for obviously for the community as a whole, a uh, really neat event for the club. Um, for the members, everybody who got to uh, partake in it, and even actually the state of Iowa and golf fans um, across the country, it was. It looked great on TV. We talked about how good the golf course looked on TV. That was, that was something that you know the the, the maintenance staff especially should take a lot of pride in. Is how good and so many people said that to me too, like how great the golf course looked on television. It was it was, it was amazing. It was a great week. Well, 
Well, I think that's that's the big thing, though, with Des Moines Golf, and however I explain it is, I mean, that course, you know, you mentioned about the course uh, up in Minnesota, but Des Moines Golf, as far as the conditions and the the overall maintenance of the course, I mean, you never have a bad lie. Uh, those guys do an amazing job. It's just immaculate condition. And so um, as you look at the two courses, so north and south, um, I know, Lee, you've played them both, I believe, out there with me before. But, uh, Todd, which one's your favorite? Which one do you prefer, north or south? North. Yeah. Without question. I don't know why. I, I really don't. I, I score a little bit better on the north. Um, other than the first few holes on the south, those those first few, those first four, uh, you know, you can maybe even throw the par three, five in there is a tough one. And six isn't a, isn't an easy hole, but compared to the first four, it seems like it's a little easier just that it's a par five and you can lay it up and flip a wedge in there. The green's tough. Um, after the renovation, seven became too easy. Not too easy. It's much easier than it was, but that green was dumb. Oh, it's ridiculous. Green renovations needed to happen. Some of those greens were just were just silly. Um, yeah. 18 South with the silly green. Stupid. Um, but uh, I don't know. After after seven, you know, eight, the new eight, the new nine, those are great holes. But the, the first handful of holes on the back nine, like you can attack those. Those are pretty simple uh, compared to the rest of them. So I don't really know why I scored better on the North, but I always did. I always, I just preferred it for no real reason other than I seem to score better. The North, the North is fun. Um, it's, I think the one that the members preferred to whenever given the option, they seem to all take the North. Um, it was like Pepsi and Coke when I, when I would talk to people about it, right. You know, which do you prefer uh, this one? I didn't find a rhyme or reason to any, why anybody liked one or the other better, but yeah, I, uh, Post renovations, I think that they're very similar in a lot of ways. Um, when that that period when the north was renovated or mostly renovated and the south wasn't, as you mentioned, that uh, green on seven, the green on eighteen, when you had those um, those holes the way that they were, everyone was going north. It felt like nobody wanted to head out to the south. Yeah, yeah. Well, whatever was new, right? That was. That was always what booked up first. What it, what it, if it was the South that after it was finished and everyone wanted to play the new holes? And that's, I mean, of course. Why wouldn't you? We were all – the the weird the, – well, I shouldn't say weird, but the, the, it was kind of fun is when they would, everybody would want to see them. They'd want to see these holes as they're being built. And, you know, Rick, the, he didn't really want – he didn't want anybody out there driving around. But after a while, he would maybe give, like, Scott the okay to go take some people around. And, and then as it got – finished and it was there was nowhere we could drive to, to get sometimes he'd let some of the rest of us go but but not always but um and take tours take a couple members out that wanted to see it uh I've been fortunate enough to see um a couple different golf courses get renovated in my time and, and it's it's wild man uh, to see a green get completely rebuilt from from foundation up is wild uh I watched um at my course in St. Louis they started putting zoysia fairways in over the uh, Bermuda that they had so they they peel it skin it they read um, surfaced it just leveled it out in spots that were kind of sillier where there might have been a hole um, and then they would roll out these giant rolls of zoysia turf uh, and it was amazing how fast like I'd look out the window one day when they started rolling outside and I got a dirt fairway and then five minutes later it's it's finished it's what it felt like it was it's crazy when they start doing that stuff now explain why zoysia in St. Louis area. It's idiot proof. Quote from my superintendent, Bob Ide, it's idiot proof. Uh, 
when it goes dormant, it turns brown, but it's still there. It feels exactly the same to play on. Uh, what they had was Bermuda overseeded with rye that would come in in the wintertime when the Bermuda would die out. St. Louis is a weird place, man. It's the transition belt. It's hard to grow grass because it gets crazy hot and humid, uh, but that it still gets cold. But if you ask St. Louis natives, that's a year-round golf area. That Well, I played once in December and once in January. That's year-round. I played every month of the year. Yes, you did. Congratulations. Um, but a lot of the golf courses that have the zoysia is it, it could stand both the cold when it would go dormant and it could stand the crazy hot, humid summers. Uh, it loved that, actually. It loves the heat. So it, 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 to reiterate, it's idiot-proof. Can't kill it. I've played in Lawrence, Kansas, and that's a pretty popular area for zoysia to be there present, yeah. too. It's fun to hit golf shots off, off of. It is. Uh, it, you never have a bad line. It's, it's nice and firm when it's cut short enough. And, and the, it, if it's not cut short enough, you can get jumpers really easy in the middle of fairway. And that's always hard to swallow when you hit that one that goes 20 yards further than it should. Uh, but the, um, the, 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 the way it reacts uh, for drivers or something off the tee, it's like landing on a Brillo pad. It just stops, uh, which that's, you know, a lot of folks need that roll off the tee. Correct me if I'm wrong, but so obviously Pete, Pete Dye um, designed the course, and because it was one of the first courses that he did, he actually was still alive and had a part in the renovations. Is that true? Did you hear that? Yeah. Before I got there, he came and toured the courses, and he put together the master plan for them. I wouldn't know how they stuck to that, like how much they stuck to that. Because I know his his company now, um, or at least at that time, whether he still does, I don't know. Uh, he was there for a lot of the renovations as they were happening. And they may have made changes on the fly if they needed to or things like that. So I don't know how well they stuck to that design. But, yeah, it's, I mean, in, that's, that's Pete Dice. Those are Pete Dice's golf courses. They didn't change enough to, to not say that by any stretch. But I don't know what those uh master planes looked like they were long before i got there and who knows how well they stuck to them anyway yeah no that's a it's a neat story i mean obviously you can definitely tell it's a pete dyke course and uh, uh obviously a neat experience and i know that uh i know that you really enjoyed your time there and we'll always speak highly um of of it and we'll i'm sure take around anytime anyone's willing to invite you out um, but now you've transitioned into something quite a bit different but i also know you you're in, you enjoy your new role um, yeah. I'm still going to take care of people and still going to, um, be out and, uh, socializing Well, when we can socialize and meet new people and help people out. Uh, tell us a little bit about what it is that you do now. Yeah. So, uh, I'm an insurance agent for country financial. Um, I sell insurance of all sorts, uh, property casualties, your, your home and auto, uh, your personal lines, uh, commercial just had a big meeting today with, with a possible commercial client that would be great to get. Um, and then life insurance being, being a, a big cornerstone of that plan. Uh, when I knew I wanted out of golf, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something that was a little bit more meaningful. I wanted to be able to help folks a little bit more uh, on, a, on a bigger level, a more personal level than just their golf swing. Um, so I reached out to anyone and everyone that I knew that was in the golf business at one time and left. And the first thing I asked is, do you miss it? Uh, got a lot of no's. Um, because a lot of them left for the same reasons I was leaving time with family, 
Um, I didn't, you know, I've, like I said, I've got my, I've got my firstborn son now. He's eight months old, so he's far from doing any activities. But I wanted to be around for set activities, baseball games, golf tournaments, whatever. I wanted to be able to, I wanted to be able to be there. Uh, and that's hard to do in the golf world. Those, those guys and gals miss a lot of stuff in the summer months. I can't say that enough. So really, I mean, the biggest thing to take away from, from my time in and what I can tell you as, from being out is appreciate those folks and what they do and the time they put in. There's, there's so much that you don't see that goes to your enjoyable time at that golf course. But um, now I, I protect people's financial security. That's, that's my, my responsibility. I tell all my clients my responsibility is to protect everything that you have and make right anything that you do wrong. This has been okay because now people are at home and it's the time that they think about looking at that stuff. Um, I had a chance to kind of connect with a lot of clients that I already had and make sure they're doing okay uh, and maybe do some reviews that I wouldn't have been able to do had they still been in their busy daily life. Um, I miss meeting people in person uh, for, for, for talks. Uh, you know, you can do it on the phone, you can do it via Zoom, but that, that personal aspect of being able to sit there with them either in their home or in, in my office and, and go over that stuff, uh, it, it's a little bit um, easier for everyone if, if it's done that way, So it, especially when it comes to documents and signing. And not everybody has the ability to sign something uh, at home and, and then scan it and send it back to you. So there's some minor difficulties, but for the most part, things are still going and, and going well. First one, we kind of talked about it in the intro, but uh, thoughts on thoughts on the match too, Lee. What what'd you get? What'd you think on Sunday of the match too? I think the easy thing to think is comparing the two matches we've seen, you know, in the two, the two prior weeks, and the people that put on the match too with with Phil and Tiger and Peyton and Tom, they definitely had. Uh, the viewers in mind when they did it. I mean, it was so much more enjoyable. It was, I mean, they were, those guys were fun and they were fun from the start. And, and honestly, if I'm, if I'm looking at my one big takeaway is how much money Justin Thomas made for himself throughout that day. I mean, that guy is, is on course interviewing Calling Tiger Woods T Dub, I mean, it makes it so much of a different experience for the listener when you have people on the course. That, I mean, they're like buddies, you know, and they're friends, and you can tell with the way he asks the questions. And I know it's his first time, but Brian, and I we were talking in a text, and Jason, you were there too. Like he was just a natural, and it made that a lot more enjoyable when when they when Tiger hit that bunker shot and Trevor Immelman said how great of a golf shot that was. And, and Chuck basically said, well, that's, he's a pro golfer. He should do that. And like, if I saw a professional basketball player go and dunk a basketball right now, I wouldn't be that impressed. And Justin Thomas shoots back with Chuck. I'd love to see your fat ass dunk a basketball right now. <laughs> like that just makes it more enjoyable. You don't even have to be a golf fan to get the enjoyment out of that. So I mean, the, the golf was, was better um, because those guys were talking and we could hear kind of what they were going through. But 
I mean, just on a, an overall spectrum, I mean, it was just more enjoyable for whether you're a, an avid golf fan or just somebody that was tuning in because there was nothing else on. I mean, it was, it was a fun, uh, well, several hours that it, it took. I would piggyback on that and say I didn't have a chance to see a ton of it. Uh, I saw quite a few highlights, like we talked a little bit earlier on the pod there. I was playing 36 holes of golf that day, and so I was hitting my own bad shots like Tom Brady was, it sounds like. But uh, I would piggyback that on, on that and say you have Tiger Woods, you have viewership. doesn't matter what's going on. You have people that are golf fans. You have people that are not golf fans as compared to the match the week before. You got T-Dub, that's your ace in the hole. Uh, and you're going to be bringing fans. And then you got the guy that's built up to be T-Dub's rival, Phil Mickelson, over the course of time. And Phil obviously is really active on social media now. Phil's a guy that will pretty much say whatever he wants. Lee, you were sitting with me in a golf cart while we, we listened to his interview pre-match about how he was going to win, either hitting bombs or hellacious seats. I mean, the guy, the guy comes up with great uh, viewership as well. And so you have, you have those two guys. Uh, I just think you're going to bring in it. and then throw in customized golf carts, shorts, give it, give it all to me. Uh, and then you got JT. JT was great. It sounds like Chuck obviously can talk about anything and has an opinion on everything. And so I just think it was uh, night and day different. I, I'll, I'll watch it again next week if you need me to. Yeah, you can do that every week. I'm in. You can do the same four dudes too, and I'm still in. Right on. Yeah, I, I, the, the thing that I enjoyed most about it was it was everything that we had asked for from a broadcast standpoint. It was let the players talk. Let, let there be dead air because we want to hear these guys having these conversations. They had the mics. You know, they had the cameras on the cards. They, I mean, from a production standpoint, they nailed it. And we've been talking about kind of the theme of tonight's show is there's so much going on behind the, behind the scenes. I mean, you have so many guys in the truck that are listening and trying to follow along and know who to tee up and, and how things to go. And so uh, I'll give those guys a ton of credit. It was everything that we wanted, um, everything that we called for after watching the, the match and then watching the skins game. Um, we wanted, we wanted to hear those guys talk and we got to hear that. We got to hear the back and forth. We got to hear the coaching, um, obviously Phil, you know, in the alternate shot there on the back nine went in super coach mode and that was fun. Like I enjoyed listening to him, uh, help Tom Brady along the way. And, and like all the things that you mentioned, obviously JT was amazing. Um, yeah, he was just an, a natural at it. Um, you know, Charles was being Charles and, and then just watching those guys. And the other takeaway that I had is, I mean, obviously those, those football players to be able to step up and hit some of the shots and some of the moments that they did. Um, even Tom Brady, obviously not playing his best game, which we kind of expected. We talked about it on the pod that we didn't think he was going to come out, play all that well. And he didn't, but when you have a hundred grand on the line, you have Charles Barkley in your ear talking shit. I mean, he steps up and holds it out and says, suck on that Chuck. Like I'd love, I mean, it was awesome. I loved it. Definitely. Definitely one of the highlights and the best was Chuck. I mean, he's, he's one of a kind anyway, but he just took it like, yeah. Good, good, good shot. I mean, what's he going to say? What's he going to say to that? And JT, when JT was asking Phil to break down that pitch shot, and he's Amazing. talking into the grain, it's going to skid a little bit because it's wet and blah blah. And then JT just says, "Oh yeah, that does it for me. Let's see it. Yeah, let's go." And he was he was so good in moments like that. And you mentioned the referred to Tiger's T Dub. I, I I preferred it when he called him Eldrick. I, uh, <laughs> I chuckled a little bit. Watching. 
my with my uh, with my mother-in-law, father-in-law, my wife, and my brother-in-law in the Quad Cities that weekend. And uh, my mother-in-law kept saying, "What's he calling him? Like that's his name. That's his that's Eldrick." Yeah, it was good. I heard uh, Justin talk afterwards, and and he's like, "Man, I get it now. Like when I try to talk to Bones out on the course on why he really doesn't want it." talk to me because there's so much going on in your earpiece and you're trying to communicate back and you're trying to know what's going on. But I thought that, I mean, with all that, he, yeah, he just stepped up and gave you what you wanted. And from what I heard too, he, he talked about how there was a couple of times where he, he was like, Hey, let me go down and, and talk with these guys and see what they think on this shot. And I mean, he, you know, obviously he's familiar with the course. And so that helps. I mean, some of his reads and some of the, yeah, on this, on this whole, I mean, it was just, it was the insight that we needed um, mixed with, with the chuck and being funny and and a little bit of trash talk and a little bit of good golf and we had the elements and we had I mean we had all this stuff that like you mentioned Jason going on that it was just it was fun it was it was great tv and we could do it every weekend well I think the 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 big takeaway from the golf part was you mentioned those football players having to kind of throw themselves out into a different arena that they're than they're used to it was pretty apparent that Peyton's mind shifted when it became alternate shot. I mean, he said, like, I have to hit the ball in the fairway because I don't want to have to hit the second shot. And honestly, when he said that, he couldn't hit the ball in the fairway. And he was nervous. And you think about, like, Tom Brady, you know, down 28-3 in the Super Bowl. Like, the fourth quarter, like, he's going to play really well. And honestly, it kind of translated to the golf game. Like, he got better as it went on. When he makes that putt for eagle – I mean, he hits, you know, those, those shots. I mean, the, he, he kind of changed, and, and Peyton just seemed like he wasn't really a big fan of, of all that extra pressure. When you, when you think kind of when you compare those two, I mean, Tom's always been that guy that comes through in the clutch, and it was, it was weird because it kind of rang true in the golf game as well. Yeah. Peyton so in the first on the front nine I started taking some notes and one of them was I want to play around the golf with Peyton Manning like that is a he's a guy just the way he was talking things he was saying fun he's telling stories he's he's ribbing guys that aren't even there like that's just because he knows they're probably watching that that was fun and I got a kick out of that but you're right his he got a lot less chatty on the back nine um he was nervous I think uh and then Tom Brady uh my note here says Tom Brady start woof uh he was horrid out of the gate but probably hit some of the best shots i mean the hole out obviously was top notch but then he made some putts that were huge for him as a team so maybe the guy that that overall played the worst but yet still had some of the biggest cuts in the match uh and i think that speaks to what you're talking about i mean the to know the situation know the moment and be able to conquer the the demons, the, the, the demons that are chirping in your ear about how you could lift this putt if you hit it too hard. But he knocking it right in the heart. I, one, one, one of the other things that we've made it this long and all the cool stuff that we saw uh, on Sunday and the fact that we haven't mentioned, how good did Tiger Woods play and how good did he look out there, though? Uh, solid. I mean, 100%. He, the way he was flighting the golf ball off the tee – in those conditions just shows that, and so was Phil. Phil was doing it too. I mean, but Tiger was just, I mean, it was like just another day on the lane. He was just firing bullets all day. 
comfortable. Uh, he he really was comfortable. The shot that I remember. No, I he didn't. It, what was crazy was the only shot that you can even think of that maybe wasn't like a tiger shot was on that par three when he happened to be the furthest one out because those other <laughs> stuffed it in yeah. there. <laughs> oh, he hit it to twenty feet. What a terrible shot. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like that's not even a bad shot. I mean, it was just the fact that that Peyton threw one in there to two and a half feet. It's just like, other than that, I mean, Tiger off the tee was hitting, shaping, doing whatever the whatever the hell he wanted, and just just was going about his business. That one that one uh, time they were he was on the mic and um, uh, Brady like blade out a, a wedge right at him he's giving commentary he's like talking about his shot and what they need to do and then he goes over and reads the putt for Peyton I was like this dude's just in his element just loving yeah. life and just killing it how about the bet I wouldn't call it a bet but Phil jokingly asked Tiger to go mark his ball while he's talking while he's he's talking to Justin talking to JT JT says Phil wants you to go mark your ball it kind of says it like that so Tiger says you're gonna hit it really and he says, well, how about if I hit it, let me hit the shot again. Let me do it over. And Tiger responds with, if you hit it, I'll give you the hole. And then he runs that, well, I mean, I don't know how far out he was, but he hits his punch shot from, from jail and runs it up on the green. And the first bounce almost lands right on top of Tiger's ball. I just, I mean, come on. These, these guys are just too good. It, it, it's just, it's incredible. One of the other stories, too, that JT told was when they were playing together at the President's Cup, and he was talking about... <laughs> how him and Tiger agreed that they weren't going to say much to each other. Uh, and what was it like, got to 13 or 14, maybe 15 even. And he's like uh, a long par five or something. And he, Tiger, he said, Tiger comes up to him and hadn't said anything to him all day and just says, I don't care how far out I am. Just put it in the fucking fairway. <laughs> and, you know, Tiger is not a guy that probably, he doesn't, he doesn't share those types of stories. Right. So the fact that JT did, I, I imagine Tiger probably, I don't know, cringed a little bit at that story. But, uh, you know, we loved it. As fans, we loved that comment. Because you, I mean, that's just, it's, it's everybody watched the Michael Jordan documentary, or, you know, the, the Last Dance, which turned out to be a Michael Jordan documentary. But he kind of has that kind of killer instinct. And it's, I don't know, it's, it, there's not many of us that can that can have that and keep it and, and, and pull it off like, like he does. It's just, it's incredible. And he meant every word of that too. I guarantee you that. Oh, absolutely. No, that was, it, that was amazing. I mean, obviously we've uh, uh, shared that, but, uh, and we would all take it again. And so that brings to the next question. And Jason, why don't you lead us off? Who should be the four in the next match? Are they going to keep calling? Is it going to be the match three? I mean, how, whatever it is, well, who should be the four that we have out there? Well, I mean, if you're sticking with the theme of Tiger and Phil, I mean, I think you got to stick with those two guys if you're playing with, you know, two current guys on tour, just because of the rivalry we've had, uh, you know, how they kind of feed each feed off, feed off each other. Uh, Phil will say whatever, Tiger will, Tiger will chime in every now and then. Uh, but if I'm pulling two other people, uh, I'm looking at, if you can get MJ in there somehow, you got to get MJ. Uh, and then if I'm sticking with the basketball theme there, I'm going with Steph Curry because uh, guy's a good player. He's personable. He will talk trash. He will have good insight. He's played in a lot of these different pro-am events, uh, so he knows a little bit of the stage. Uh, I think those two guys would be unbelievable if it came down to pulling in four people like that again. 
that's kind of been the rumor the last day or so is those two guys. And, you know, and we talked about this before, you know, what's your foursome, you know, any, any athletes, I mean, those are the two guys I had said with, you know, we were including ourselves at that point, but you know, like that would be an interesting foursome. And, and again, I think kind of what makes this a kind of a, a spectacle is that Peyton and uh, Phil were on opposite teams because they were going to be the ones that kind of gave the entertainment value with the golf. Um, so I think, you know, Steph might be that, that fill in for, um, for Peyton, but at the same time, it would be awesome if it was Tiger and MJ on the same team. And then you had Phil and Steph on the other side, because I think that's probably the best match golf wise. Um, maybe not from an entertainment standpoint, but I think we would all die to see Tiger and MJ on the same team. Um, regardless of what the entertainment factor ends up being, because those two guys are, are probably the two greatest winners that we've seen in our lifetime. Todd, what do you think? Uh, I like those two picks. I, Steph Curry can play. That guy's the real deal. Um, w- one of the things I, I, had, I found enjoyable about the, the match that, we, that was on Sunday was when Brooks Kepka tweeted out, you know, $100,000 donation if, if Brady makes par. Um, you would have a lot more of those type of side wagers for donations with MJ on the golf course. That guy is going to start throwing out all kinds of bets. Um, uh, he, I see the dude's just, that's what he does. So uh, that could make things really fun and interesting. I mean, Chuck did it too. He threw 50 at, at uh, Tom Brady if he could hit the green on the par threes. Uh, which he failed to do. Um, but Ch- Chuck was making those side bets. MJ would make a lot of side bets. I think that would be good. Another another one that uh, – another professional athlete that's a good player is Tony Romo. And that guy's great on the mic. So I can see Tony Romo being a lot of fun. Um, he was trying, I mean, to, to play. He was trying to qualify for U.S. Opens and things like that. Um, if you take it outside of the sports world too, it, it might – get interesting uh there are a lot of musicians out there that you wouldn't think would be good players that carry uh scratch handicaps or just above and it might be interesting to bring some 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 folks like that into uh i'm also a big music lover so that's a selfish that's a selfish answer right so there. like do tell do tell who who is so <laughs> I, I'm kind of a, a metal and heavy heavy rock guy uh the front man, Lejean from Seven Dust, that dude was is a scratch golfer with like giant dreadlocks. Like, let's go. <laughs> That's let's awesome. Go after it. Um, locally, Des Moines boys here. I, I think there are plenty of members of the band Slipknot that are good. That are good sticks. Let's get. I mean, let's 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 see what happens here. Uh, there used to be. and It's been a while since I've seen it, but Golf Digest used to always put out um, an issue that was like the top one hundred or fifty, or and I don't know if it was any kind of ranking or they just handpicked interesting celebrities that carry a good handicap, right? Guys like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning are always on that list, Michael Jordan, uh, but they would always pepper in some of these other guys. That's where I found out about the seven dust front man, one of those old golf digest issues. So I don't know. That might be interesting. Bring in somebody that you just wouldn't expect. 
No, that's all. I, I think the Slipknot guys have hosted tournament or I, I know they've gone up and played in the Dallas Clark before. And um, so, yeah, I know that those guys, those guys like to play. So that's awesome. Um, uh, yeah. So my initial thought was right in line with you guys. I mean, I was, I was going Steph Curry, Michael Jordan, just to keep basketball theme um, and obviously good golfers. I, I obviously Tiger and Phil, you can't beat, but if you have to mix it up, I would JT and Spieth. Uh, would be kind of fun to have those guys on opposite teams just with their relationship and you know those guys will just naturally go back and forth so it'd be kind of fun to see those guys in there as you guys were talking just to mix it up I was like well so if this comes back and it's now not the main sports thing and you're just getting people golf fans who, who want to watch golf a Tony Romo and maybe like a John Smoltz or something would be kind of kind of interesting too because obviously they those guys can talk that's what they do for a living and so it'd be pretty interesting to get those two guys and JT and Jordan Spieth I think that I think that might be kind of fun to watch as well yeah I don't, does it have to be Tiger and Phil I don't know is it is it the match anymore if it's not Tiger and Phil I don't know that's a good question that's a good question you could always call it something different but just have it kind of be the same theme I don't know it, it, uh, I wouldn't mind seeing other 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 golfers uh, professionals in there to mix it up I wouldn't I wouldn't you know that those guys want a piece of that I mean and I like I saw Justin and he said yeah I mean if you invited me yes I'm already telling you yes you know Brooks would say yes. yeah I mean all those guys are gonna be like yeah I want a piece of it I mean that would that just as it's just a fun event like I said it was so well done that why for your brand or as a golfer you wouldn't want to be a part of it it's, I mean it's a no-brainer I don't think it has to be Tiger and Phil but it should be Tiger and Phil, if they have to do this two times a year and get some of these other guys that have been mentioned in there, I mean, people aren't going to, to not watch, you know, because it's two times a year, you know, as opposed to one time a year, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. I mean, but those two guys are bringing in the golf fans and, and probably some others as well, but it's always those other two guys is kind of maybe your reach you know, gets a little bit bigger because you are going to do something a little bit differently. And I think the Peyton and Tom Brady thing brings your, your normal golfers, maybe without a, a golf background in it, you know, to watch. And, and again, it becomes, how can you match up the golf and the entertainment and the fun factor that we talk about a lot on this podcast? How can you do that and uh, get everybody to turn in? And they made $20 million for charity. I mean, let's, let's be honest. That's, that was the whole point of this. The entertainment part kind of came second and it was awesome. That is one thing you could tell the difference between the match and this one when it, the players weren't winning the money and it was going for charity that it was a little more lighthearted, but that might've also been what made it a little bit more fun too. But, uh, maybe, maybe you figure out a way to side bet those guys and keep it off the record. And so those guys are, are itch. I mean, obviously Tiger, Tiger wants to beat Phil, and Phil wants to beat Tiger, and so the the competitive fire was there. But uh, no, it was fun. Either way, like we said, let's do, let's do it again. I, I had a lot of fun. It was it was awesome to watch. Um, with that, let's transition over to the game we like to end with uh, here on the Two Putt Podcast, uh, and that is whose career, in which that we take a look at a couple golfers and uh, we talk about uh, why or how we would choose um, a golfer's career and it ends up kind of being life. We end up choosing whose life we want. It seems like more than career, but we try to stick to career as much as possible. Uh, last week, D3 ran away 
right? Ran away with it on Twitter over, uh, over, it was Marco Miro, right? Yeah. Yeah. Twitter let me down there. Yeah. Needed, needed a little bit more help. I mean, that might've been a little bit of a fan fanfare there, uh, for, for D3, but, um, today I think we got a interesting, uh, challenge here and uh, putting together, uh, two golfers, uh, Martin Keimer versus Jim Furyk. Um, so two, two, um, one well-known name and the other one, uh, uh, put together some, uh, a couple good seasons there. So, uh, Lee, let's, uh, let's start with you. Uh, who, uh, who are you taking? I honestly don't know how you don't choose Jim Furyk just from name recognition. Like, I mean, we talk about golf nicknames. I mean, he is Mr. 58, which is, I mean, cool. Cause he shot 58, a little bit of play on the old Mr. 59. But when you talk as an American golf fan, I mean, Jim Furyk, you've just known for so long. Um, it'd be almost impossible to choose against him. With that being said, I'm going Martin Keimer. And the guy has, like, barely won anything, but it's been two majors and a player's. He's been number one in the world. Um, Furyk. I mean, has the 58, he has a major, he's done it for way longer than Keimer. I mean, I think that's where when you talk about whose career or whose five years would you rather have, um, you know, that would be a different conversation. But again, I'm, I'm going two majors, a player's number one in the world. Even though he's not an American, I'm going Martin Keimer. And I don't think the careers are that close, even though the career – might be longer for Furyk. When I when I first saw this matchup, my immediate thought was "Gimme Furyk." And just like you were talking, I started thinking about it a little bit more. You look at Keimer; he's got, I think, I think the total wins. Usually, usually BC gives us all the numbers on this, like career wins, European wins, all this, all yep. this gar- garbage number stuff. Well, Sorry, he's being sneaky. Point. He's being sneaky. That's because he's get, he's going to go against the grain. You know it. 26, 23 professional wins, three on the PGA Tour. For Keimer, yep. 26 and 17 on the PGA Tour for Furyk. Yep. Uh, and I'm looking at those numbers and, you know, pretty comparable wins. Yeah, Keimer doesn't have as min, many wins on the PGA Tour, but he's got three of the five biggest tournaments of the year. He's got the PGA at Whistling Straits. He's got the U.S. Open at Piners number two, and he's got the players uh, at TPC Sawgrass. Those are the three on U.S. soil, on the PGA Tour that he has. Uh, and I started thinking about it, too. I mean, he was on that team. I don't want to bring it up, but the meltdown at Medina, he was on that team in Chicago area, and he had the, well, won the 18th hole to beat Steve Stricker and at least retain the cup for the Europeans. Uh, and so I look at that, and I look back through it, and I, my initial thought was, give me Furyk, but after I looked into it a little bit more, I'm, I'm all on board with Keimer. He's won at, you know, one of the most historic places in the U.S. at Piners number two. And uh, I, I'm going, I'm going with Keimer, baby. Todd, what do you got? Uh, I'm actually kind of glad that, to hear some Keimer love. I, you know, when he started out, Lee said that he you know, barely won anything. And I'm thinking, man, this dude's, this dude's won 11 times on the European tour. He was European tour player of the year. Uh, he was the PGA tour number one ranked player for a little bit. I mean, he's, he's kind of done it on both tours. Um, and it's hard to compare them 
career-wise because his career is still going. I mean, it, it's it, in, in theory shorter than, than Furyk. Um, but I think I want to say Furyk. And the only reason why that I'm going to pick Furyk over Keimer is the number of times he's got to play on a team uh, for Team USA. President's Cups, Ryder Cups. Uh, personally, I don't think there is anything more I would want to do as a professional golfer. Transplant me into anybody's body that can actually play the game and can putt, because um, I can't. The, but give me the opportunity to play in a Ryder Cup, President's Cup style match uh, with a team. For me, that feels hard to beat. I love that event as a fan. I can't see anything being more fun as a player. Um, and he's even getting to do it on the vice captain, captain side too. Is it, uh, so I don't know. I Just for that, for Team USA, uh, the ability to play for Team USA, I got to say Jimmy Furyk. Well, uh, how about from a teaching uh, standpoint, uh, how would you explain uh, his swing? <laughs> Uh, we don't have enough time for that. You know me, I'm a chatty <laughs> Kathy. Uh, you know, here's the thing. Watch his, watch his swing in slow-mo and then watch it coming down compared to a lot of people and tell me, you know, the major differences. Uh, he gets it into a great spot at impact. He does it in a different way. Uh, as a teacher, I, um, I have a pretty simple philosophy. You point the club face at the target and you move it at the target uh, through impact. It's physics. They're called ball flight laws. The ball will fly at the target if you point the club face at the target and move it at the target. You cannot tell me differently. It's fact. Uh, he does that well enough, um, even if he does it in a weird way. As a teacher, most people can't do it the same way. Like You know, you get this this – GG swing tips guy. Guy drives me bonkers, right? He's trying to teach you how to hit a golf ball like Dustin Johnson does. I'm 5'9", 245 pounds. I can't hit it. <laughs> I can't hit it like Dustin Johnson does, right? It's not possible. So stop trying to teach it to me that way. So you can move the club towards the target and point at the target a lot of different ways. And Jim Furyk is the prime example of that. Uh, uh, how about Matt Wolf? Give me a break. I don't even know. I I mentioned it, Michelle Wee. I watched her hit golf balls from five feet away, and I still don't know how she does it. But I can tell you that she points the club face near the target and moves the – she's getting draws and things, so she's pointing it one way, moving the we get, – you get into the numbers, it's a little different. But it's still a simple fact that as long as you're in a good spot at impact, you really – there's a lot of ways to get there. There's a lot of ways. No, that's awesome. I love it. So we have two for Keimer, one for Furyk. Um, so as I take a look at these – so a couple things, obviously, like you mentioned, um, you know, Jim Furyk has the Ryder Cup's the big thing for him representing Team USA and, and being able to do it for as long as he has um, and pile up the wins. Um, one major, which one, which one did he get? I guess I don't even have it in front of me. 03 US Open, I believe. Oh. Olympic yep. Fields. Okay, so he's got the one uh, US Open. Um, you know, Keimer – Obviously, like you mentioned, he's got uh, got the two. He won the, the, the PGA and the U.S. Open. Um, 
he struggled. He struggled at the Masters um, for whatever for whatever reason. That course does not fit his game. I think a, a T sixteen is the highest he's ever um, scored at the Masters. Um, obviously, came on the scene and uh, had a couple really good years. Um, you know, and so as I look through and I go and look at these guys. We always talk about it. One of the things that comes down um, for me, and I talk about the money side of things. Obviously, Jim Furyk is has been doing it longer, and so because of that, his win total and his net worth is obviously higher at sixty million uh, net worth compared to um, Martin Keimer's twenty-two million. Um, but when you you look at the age of these guys, um, the fact that Keimer was born um, same year, same month as both. Well, same year, same month as uh, me, uh, same month as Lee. Won the two majors, uh, did, hasn't, gotten the, hasn't gotten the Masters. I do think that he's young enough and has a good enough game that uh, he's going to be able to, uh, to, to be able to find it again. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tip the scale and uh, go against the grain a little bit here and choose against the, the $60 million net worth because I think he's got a little bit more left in the tank. And I'm going to go, uh, go Martin Keimer on this one and uh, – Get, go three to one on the pod and, and see what Twitter, the Twitter world thinks of it. There's Brian, a first, I'm shocked. There's a first time shocked. for everything, baby. Shocked. I will say this though. The Twitterverse is not going to agree with us because I think the name recognition, Jim Furyk, Martin Keimer, like it, it is, I think it's, a, it's an easy decision if you just look at the names, you know, because you can immediately associate, Jim Furyk with like being really good for a long time but then you look at what Keimer's done I mean if you really dig into it I mean that that would be tough to to beat I I just I think Twitter is going to say that Furyk has a better career and, and again I, if you're going straight name recognition I can't argue with that but I think if you dig a little bit and like the multiple majors with the players I mean I think it kind of shocks you that he's won that many times. And to go with, go with Lee's theme here, Martin Keimer did reach number one in the world. Jim Furyk never reached number one in the world. Number two. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. You know, and I think that's the thing that ultimately comes down to is with some of these other guys and I talk about, obviously, net worth is usually the tipping scale for me. But, like, uh, there's a little bit of swag that goes into that, too. And Jim Furyk doesn't have a ton of swag for me. So, like, at the end of the day, I mean, he, he's got more in the bank right now. Like I said, I think Keimer's got a little bit left in the tank. We haven't really heard from him since 2014, but he's still grinding. I think I think he could sneak sneak out. He's got He's got the game where maybe he could catch you on a couple. And so um, – with that fact, we're, we're, we're teaming up on Todd a little bit, going three to one. But uh, I do think that it'll take the podcast to get Keimer over the edge because I think, like you said, the normal golfer is going to click on, on Furyk for sure. That's all right. I'm, I'm all right. You guys, can, I'm, I'm, I'm the guest. Team up on me. Beat it up on me. That's fine. I, your name recognition, sure. There's going to be plenty of people that might see it on Twitter and not know who Martin Keimer is if they, I don't know, lived under a rock for a couple of years there the early 2000s and mid 2000s, but he, um, he did it all on, on, on us soil in a, in a short period of time. Uh, and I think that that might hurt him a little bit, but if you do dig and see his record on the European tour, it, it's hard to argue. Uh, again, I, I solely based on the, the amount of times he's gotten to play in a Ryder cup. That's it for me. Cause that's, 
as a fan, that's my favorite thing to watch. There's going to be a lot of people that look at Martin Keimer's name and they're not going to be able to say it right. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, if you aren't a big golf fan. Who's this Kamer? Yeah, who's Martin Kamer? You know, who's Martin Kamer? You know, I don't know that guy. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think that's probably, I think that hurts us in this, in this aspect. Not, not to dig on our guest here, but I think Todd's just sticking with uh, Team Fira Caroline over there. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, dude, that guy's probably got, well, I don't know, not anymore. He shaves it down. Too. <laughs> See, bald fellas unite. Let's go. <laughs> no, that's that's perfect. It'll be it'll be interesting to see uh interesting to see what happens and uh just uh I thought uh, a good way to talk a little bit of Keimer on the pod and uh try to try to make him relevant here again. So um hey Todd, we appreciate you taking the time and jumping on with us. A uh, ton of insight. it was love listening to you talk about the swing and um, the stuff that goes into to the game of golf and the teaching side of it. And so we, we appreciate you jumping on with us. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. I, I learned that uh, I need to step up my Twitter game. Claude was dogging my Twitter game. So you got daily. You, you, you got, got daily. Run with it. Run with coming John in hot. I'm going to come into Twitter hot. We're just dropping bombs left and right. Let's go. Yes. Phil Mickelson style. We Dave might have to use we might have to have you reach out to Long John and see if we can get him on the pod. Yeah, yeah, you know, because we're tight. It's like, hey, you remember, <laughs> like, back in, I don't know, it was like 2007 or so. <laughs> got me a you, – you, you, you followed me on, on Twitter. And he's been like, what's a Twitter? And, um, you know, we'll go from there. But, well, you know, it's worth a shot. We can meet him at Hooters. Like, I'll, right. I'll go. I'm in. And post-COVID, post-shutdown – the Two Putt Podcast coming to you live from John Daly's trailer from his motorhome outside of the Hooters. I mean, that's that's got an Emmy written all over it. Shout out Hooters, business that's of the right. week. No, that uh, just don't tell them that we're all Braves fans though, because we want to get them on the pod. <laughs> yeah, that might not help your chances. <laughs> We'll we'll try to catch him if he comes uh comes back for a principal charity classic. I know Twin Peaks. I heard is they're shutting down, so that might not work. Um, <laughs> they're shutting the doors. I don't know if you guys have heard that, but Twin Peaks shutting the doors, and so I don't know where we'll find a spot. I, Daily will meet so, up. We'll meet him in the van. Uh, myself and a few other agents got a booth at the principal charity classic last year, right there behind uh, seventeen T box part three going down the hill. Awesome. JD goes through. I don't know what he does on seventeen, but. On 18, he blasts one right, okay? And I ran into somebody who was over there while he was getting his rules official to give him his relief from an electrical box, probably sprinkler box, right, uh, maintenance box. And he said the time it took to get that drop uh, officially made and him to hit the shot, that was a two-cigarette weight. He burned two heaters <laughs> in that time, so – Burning heaters, dominating peanut M&Ms and Diet Cokes, and living the best life, J.D. So, Todd, do you think, like, why don't we just do some live podcasting from this agent's box at the Dude, Principal Charity Classic? You're all we're, invited. Yeah, Let's we, do so it. We got, we got, I got the booth again this year. Um, of course, that's been postponed. But, yeah, dude, you're all invited. T take it. You got it now. You got a ticket. Uh, we got some beer, we got some booze, we got some food. It was a good time. It was a really good time. So, yeah, you all got a ticket on me. Love it. That sounds like a podcast right there, September, early September. Yeah, 
Yeah. Right on. Well, uh, by the time we roll this podcast out, we're going to be popping the next round of the best nicknames in golf out there. So make sure you check that out. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, flip us a rating when you get a chance. Um, yo, Todd, again, thanks for all the insight. Um, I'd take a lesson if you're um, selling those anytime soon. I, would, I need to get the uh, club squared impact. I'm hitting the power fade. Um, I can hit the ball a long ways, but it's, uh, it's not bouncing very far. So I'd love to, to get some insight there. So again, let's, uh, let's get this thing turned up and, uh, the nicknames are coming out real fast. Appreciate your time, Todd. Really appreciate you jumping on and chatting some golf here with us and giving us some insight to the game. And for all the listeners out there, tell a friend about the pod, drop us a five-star rating if you would. And, uh, we're out two putt pod. Question is, Will I ever leave you? The answer is no. No, 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 Yeah. You feel the pressure, man. I know the pressure. And my wifey is a spice like I'm David Beckham.